Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to another edition of the Action Network podcast. This will be a fantasy football podcast. I know that's what you guys want. We're going to be talking all of the running backs outside the top 12, our favorite sweepers, our favorite guys in that 12 to 24 range. Uh, here with me to do it, my guy Sean Corner. Of course, you know him from the Action Network and at the underscore odds maker on Twitter. And we've got a special guest today, Mr. Jake Seeley from The Athletic, at All In Kid on Twitter. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited to be on this podcast. I actually think this is the, finally the first time I've, I've done a pod with Sean. I've done one with you. I've had you out on a guest, but I don't think, I think we've finally this first time, Sean. Yep, first time ever. Looking forward to it. We got a ton of, of stuff to get to, so let's jump right in. Uh, we're going to be talking running backs, specifically running backs outside the top 12. So those make or break running backs uh, for your fantasy football leagues in 2019. And Jake, I just wanted to start it off by asking you, you know, what are your thoughts on running back in fantasy football as a whole? How do you approach it? Are you, you know, team running back doesn't matter. Are you team zero RB? Uh, how are you approaching the running back position? Yeah, that's why we were joking about that before the show. You got to have like your team that you're on. And look, it, the truth is, we know this. I think everybody on the show, everybody listening to your show knows this. You need to adapt to the draft. That all being said, I've always been team, if you want to call it bell cow running back. And I mean bell cow, it doesn't mean the old NFL style where you need 20 carries. I want a bell cow running back in the first two rounds that's getting the ball 20 times per game, even half of it being receptions, which nobody's really at that level, but you understand what I'm saying. It doesn't matter how you're getting your 20 touches. I want that kind of consistency. Most of the time, it's the first round. If it's not, I usually get them in the second, but I want to come out of the first two rounds with that because it just, for my opinion and my success and the way that I've been able to build teams throughout my entire history is, it leads you to better being able to adapt to how the draft is going while also not worrying that, oh my gosh, now I'm running out of running backs. Oh, I, I'm, now I am zero RB, but I can't wait anymore. And now I have to overstretch on you know Rashad Penny because I can't go as totally zero RB to the seventh round. So I've just always been, if you want to call it something, bell cow running back. Two things. Number one, I love that you use Rashad Penny as an example because I think he is being overdrafted right now. And number two, I'm going to kick it to you, Sean, because I know that you know, in the past, when you talk about bell cows and getting into this range outside the running back 12, I don't know how good cows do in frozen ponds, but, but this year, Sean, I know you're, you're kind of switched your strategy up a little. So um, just talk a little bit about that. Cause I know last year you weren't really digging kind of that, that RB two tier, but this year you're feeling a little better about it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, last year, the RB two tier, I'm going to forget some of the names, but it was like Jordan Howard, Alex Collins, Kenyon Drake, Rashad Penny and Ronald Jones. I didn't like any of them. You know, when we're doing projections and stuff and rankings, they were obviously, you know, in that range, but they just had so much downside that I was just urging caution. So last year I was trying to get, you know, at least two of the top 12 backs. But this year, um, I mean, if you have one of the first five picks, you're getting a running back. I'm totally fine with that, obviously. But um, after that, I'm either trying to get, um, you know, Travis Kelsey or, you know, get one or two possibly of the top wide receivers. So I, I actually do like the RB2 tier a lot this year. 
um, as we'll talk about today. But, you know, when it comes to just overall strategy, uh, I mean, just look at the top 15 receivers are drafting this year. You know, all of them required high draft capital last year. Um, you're not going to be picking up a wide receiver one or wide receiver two in season, but running back, that is the case. I mean, just looking at the top 15, there's three guys that you could have gotten in the last couple rounds or picked up in season. Um, and James Conner, Nick Chubb, and Damian Williams. So you never want to bank on jackpots like that, but it's a position where it's so volatile, you can take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we should, that's a good segue to kind of jump right into it because, uh, you know, I think you you two have a little bit of a different strategy this year. Uh, I, I kind of, I'm kind of in the middle. I play it by, by year in the draft. You know, I usually do take a top five running back uh, or at least a top four guy. Sometimes I go a wide receiver over David Johnson or even Ezekiel Elliott now with the holdout concerns, but I really do like the running backs kind of at the back end of that, you know, top 20 when you talk about Freeman and Mack, Kerryon Johnson, Josh Jacobs and the like. So I am targeting that range a lot. And that kind of uh, makes me more comfortable with going with two stud pass catchers early in, in 2019. So I'm going to start off by just reading you guys some names uh, of the average draft positions. Uh, of this RB2 tier, and then we can jump right in. Damian Williams is the RB13, took over in KC. Aaron Jones, Green Bay, RB14, 15th, Leonard Fournette in Jacksonville, 16th, Marlon Mack on the Colts, 17th, the Titans, Derrick Henry, 18th, Kerryon Johnson of the Lions, 19th, the Falcons, Devontae Freeman, 20th, rookie Josh Jacobs of the Oakland Raiders, and then you got Philip Lindsay uh, of the Broncos, David Montgomery, rookie in Chicago, Mark Ingram, goes from the Saints to the Baltimore Ravens at 23, and Chris Carson rounding out the top 24. Of course, uh, the lead back in Seattle. Jake, talk to me about Damian Williams. He came on strong down the stretch last season and in the playoffs. Now the Chiefs bring in Carlos Hyde. Uh, Obviously, Kareem Hunt is gone. Uh, They also drafted Darwin Thompson on day three. Uh, What is Williams' ceiling and his floor uh, this season? I think ceiling is top five. Let's be real about like Damian Williams. And I think the on the flip side to get it out of the way, the floor is you're dropping him by week six. <laughs> that's how that's how wide his outcome is because Damian Williams can go back to being Dolphins Damian Williams. Although let's also look at the two offenses, look at the situation, look at the usage and realize that maybe he wasn't used in the best case scenario there. Damian Williams is not an elite level running back. He's not deserving talent wise as much as I do like him. I have him inside my top 10. Talent-wise, of the guys inside the top 12, I still would take Mixon and Cook and Todd Gurley and David. Like, there's plenty of names that the talent doesn't match up, but his situation makes up for that, in my opinion. And the Carlos Hyde signing for me told me exactly what I felt was the Chiefs are going into this year, and what we've heard is Carlos Hyde's the backup plan if Damian Williams gets hurt. They didn't add somebody as in to look for a timeshare to find somebody who gets 30 40% of the touches. And we've seen that from Andy Reid in the past, that that's not the case anyway. So... I feel good with the Carlos Hiding side signing because I feel like he's just the backup plan. But obviously, I said, the downside is Damian Williams completely reverts, completely bombs and falls on his face, and Carlos Hyde ends up being the guy from week five and on. But I don't. I think that's a light, less likely scenario than him finishing inside the top 10. I have him at nine. I, again, I think his ceiling is actually inside the top five if we're talking about the Chiefs offense. Sean, uh, I'm going to get your thoughts on Williams, and I want to frame it like this. Uh, you know, I, I followed you for a long time. And of course, I'm sure everyone has kind of uh, followed your, your rankings and your projections and in your preseason thoughts. And, and one thing I've noticed that is that you tend to be a little more conservative, bearish, whatever you want to call it, on running backs that don't have much of an established track record. So 
a guy like Williams, who, you know, really only had about five or six starts that you can point to where he got significant volume uh, in a game with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so how do how does previous track record uh, or lack thereof kind of influence uh, your projections and, and put that in the context of Williams and, and what do you think his ceiling and floor is for this season? First off, that's that's a great observation. I haven't really thought about that, um, but you're right. I think when it comes to spending high draft capital on backs, I do kind of want a decent track record. Having said that, the you know back end of the draft um, where I'm taking flyers, um, that's actually a good thing. I think you know having a wide range of outcomes is sort of bad for running back early on, and you know a positive thing later in the draft. So you know the ceiling, uh, Jake hit on it. His ceiling is what we saw last year in his four week stretch where he was starting. Um, he was the RB3 overall. So, I mean, we saw his ceiling right there. And I think that's kind of, you know, stuck in our, the back of our minds right now. So I think he's, um, you know, I actually have him ranked running back 13 right now, right in line with his ADP. But you guys are kind of alluding to it. His floor is, you know, this becomes more of a timeshare with Carlos Hyde. And, you know, I don't think he'll become droppable unless he gets hurt. I think he's a guy that probably doesn't need that many touches to have, you know, low end RB2 or, you know, flex value. But, you know, spending this high draft capital on that, you're going to be very disappointed if, you know, by week four, um, he's splitting carries uh, with Carlos Hyde. And the other thing is, you know, he's played for five seasons now. And the first game where he had 15 plus touches was week 15 last year. So that that does mean something to me. And I'm projecting him just slightly over 15 touches a game. But it's still, you know, when you're spending high draft capital on running back, you do want to be able to trust him. I just think there's enough downside that I'm just willing to let somebody else take him on. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of right there. He's on that, uh, you know, RB1, RB2 borderline for me as well. I, I think that it, it's hard to pass on him if you're looking for a running back and, and, and about, you know, 10, 11, 12 of those guys are off the board um, just because of the upside. But but again, that's why I'm a little more comfortable going with stud pass catchers, because if you want to talk about track record, I mean, a lot of times where Williams going, you're still you can still get yourself you know, a, a T.Y. Hilton or a, a Julian Edelman, Amari Cooper, guys that with a little more established track records. Um, but I, I do want to clear up some misconceptions about Williams. He, he did catch a ton of passes last year, but um, he's not like a, a scat back or anything like that. Like this guy is 222 pounds, um, not necessarily the strongest guy, only a 21st percentile um, bench press uh, performance at the combine a, a few years back. But, but this guy is a big guy. And I do think that, uh, you know, Jake, you kind of hit on it. Carlos Hyde, not really a threat directly to William's workload because Carlos Hyde doesn't catch the football. And I think that's the reason Andy Reid um, will continue to, to put Williams on the field as long as he's healthy, because Williams can catch you the ball and, and Carlos Hyde can't. He's been one of the least efficient wide receivers, whereas Williams was getting four, five, six catches um, on a weekly basis once he took over. So uh, I do think you have a little bit in PPR. I think you want to be a little bit higher on, on Damian Williams than in, 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 uh, in just a regular standard league, but even in standard, the, the touchdown upside is there. Speaking of touchdown upside, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers long known to throw a ton of scores in close. Cause they have a guy named Aaron Rodgers. not many rushing touchdowns historically in green Bay. However, I'm looking at this average draft position. I see Aaron Jones. RB14, Jake, how do you feel about Jones at RB14? Is this a guy that you are targeting, avoiding, or do you just feel that the value is pretty much fair? 
No, so I'm going to either look really stupid or I'm going to be playing the I told you so game at the end of the year because I'm off Aaron Jones and it's not I'm off Aaron Jones altogether. I'm just off Aaron Jones where he's going because I think you look at like and we just heard the report this week and I was like, hey, look, this is what I've been saying the entire time is I am of the mindset watching the Packers. And I know this is a new offense and a new regime coaching staff, but it's still similar usage player wise. And what this this program has been under Aaron Rodgers, they're not going to change it that much is. They don't go to the running back that much consistently. And then even when you do, look at Aaron, Rod- or Aaron Jones and look at Aaron Jones and his efficiency. And I look at Aaron Jones' efficiency and also his size. I look at his usage. I look at the way that they employ him. And I get thoughts of Lamar Miller when he was with the Dolphins. And everybody, when Lamar Miller was on the Dolphins, bang the table, give the guy more touches, give the guy more touches, give him more touches. He gets more touches. He's less efficient and almost putting up the same numbers with more touches because That's not his style. That's not how he fits. And I feel like you look at Aaron Jones, and the smart thing is to give him around 15 touches a game. And I will say and have said, they will be some of the most efficient and excellent numbers on a per-touch basis, but he's not going to get the entire 20-plus touch a game, 18-plus touch a game workload because that's going to go to Dexter Williams as mixed in moving ahead of Jamal Williams already. I just don't think he's going to get that consistent touches. And for that reason, I have him down at 18. Still a good number, but by 18, he's long gone for running backs. Yeah, you know, I, I'm actually kind of with you. So, so, Sean, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts um, because, you know, when I look at Jones, I kind of see the same thing. He's a guy that in my model near the top of the league, if not at the top of the league in, in yards per carry, but I just can't confidently project him for the workload that I can some of these other backs uh, in that range, especially, you know, after Theo Riddick gets cut in Detroit, you know, Derrick Henry, we know he's going to get road as long as he's healthy. Marlon Mack, big workloads down the stretch. Um, so talk to me about your projection, especially your touches, because I know you have Aaron Jones uh, as a highly efficient guy, too. So where, where are you on his touches in 2019? Yeah, so those are all great points. Uh, I agree completely. I, I do have him just right around 15 touches. So um, I have him being extremely efficient. You don't really need that many touches for Aaron Jones. Um, so I, I don't really think that's a knock from, I think it, it could help his upside if he is able to kind of handle a larger load. So, you know, he's a guy that you, you kind of mentioned guys like Kerryon Johnson, Derek Henry, even Marlon Mack. I do try to seek those guys out. Um, but Aaron Jones, this is all part of a massive RB2 tier. I just take whoever falls to me. So if he's sitting there in the fourth round, I'll typically already have two stud receivers and, you know, like a Kerryon Johnson already. I, I'll happily take Aaron Jones in the fourth round. So he's been a guy that's um, slipped a bit and, you know, I'm all about tiers. So any guy in this tier um, I'm happy to get later on. And he's, he's a guy that, you know, if you're in a league where nobody wants him, he can fall to you, but he's obviously a guy that I'm not going to seek out in round three, all because of the reasons you guys have already mentioned. Yeah. And I think that is an important point. It's, uh, you know, for us, we're sitting here staring at these projections all year, all, all off season. You know, Jake and I were just joking before the show, like we've been ready for months now uh, for this fantasy season. Uh, but, you know, for, for a lot of people out there that are drafting, like the difference between a, a running back 14 and a running back 20, um, at least the perception of it is a lot more than I think we think it is. So it's an important point to bring up that I think all the running backs we, we kind of talked about, you know, from Williams to, to Jacobs, to Mac, to, to Freeman, to carry on Johnson to Derek Henry, to Aaron Jones, they're all in one tier. And, and I think the tier is important because you can start again, you can start with two stud pass catchers, either two receivers or even uh, a Kelsey, or maybe depending on where you're drafting, uh, you know, a Zach Ertz or a George Kittle, and you can still get then uh, two running backs who I think in this tier 
have running back one upside in those third and fourth rounds. So, you know, I have Aaron Jones near the back of this tier as well. I have him as my uh, RB 21 in, uh, in half point PPR. He's my 20th um, in, in standard. And I just think it's for the, you know, I have him for 203 touches, 4.66 yards a carry, which is pretty much the highest of any running back. Um, him and Lindsay are neck and neck for that. And I still have him for, for eight, uh, a little over eight rushing touchdowns, but, you know, not necessarily a ton catching the ball, uh, only about 29 receptions. So just under two a game. Uh, and I think that's another thing that, that may hurt him a little. The Packers do not tend to, to throw the ball to running backs. Uh, a ton. So um, I, I want to get kind of throw it back to you, Jake. And now we've talked a little bit about this tier as a whole. Where does it end? Like where <laughs> do you kind of stop feeling comfortable um, with the running backs? Because we're talking kind of this whole 13 to 24 tier. Uh, you know, is, is it around Carrion Johnson, Devonta Freeman? Like where does this tier end for you where you're saying, hey, maybe now I'm going to pivot back uh, and, and look at wide receiver or another position? So it cuts off a little bit different than this tier, but it's in the same range. It's 13 to 23, and my 23rd is David Montgomery. Uh, it does not include Chris Carson. So and uh, Kenyon Drake's in the next tier that we haven't gotten to, but I cut off at 23. That's I'm looking at right now. That's where I have actually 23 to 24 is Montgomery to Drake, and that's one of my bigger point gaps at running back. There's actually eight points between the two. Still less than – it's half point per, per week, but – that's the bigger drop-off. And it comes not just from looking at the projected points. It's also the usage between the two. Like, I understand looking at the different use week to week. I have a good feeling about Montgomery's consistency, and I don't know what to expect with the Dolphins. I mean, they might choose Balazs. They might choose Miles Gaskin. We don't really know at this point who, who's going to be the guy each week. So, Jake, let me ask you a follow-up here because Montgomery is a guy I want to spend some time on. A lot of people out there may not be uh, too familiar with him Third round pick by the Chicago Bears out of Iowa State. They go on and trade Jordan Howard, their starter last year, to the Philadelphia Eagles. But they also pick up Mike Davis, who, who played a, a pretty significant kind of 1B role to Chris Carson in Seattle last season. Montgomery, 5'10", 222 pounds. Uh, not really a great showing at the combine. Only his, uh, you know, his agility score, if you're looking at those kind of metrics, was over uh, above the 50th percentile. Uh, Yard per carry, 4.7, not necessarily that impressive either. Um, what do we like? What do you like about Montgomery, Jake? And, and why should people uh, draft him as a top 24 running back uh, in that three-headed or potentially three-headed uh, Bears backfield? Well, partly, I'll attack that part first. I don't think it's going to be as three-headed as people believe. Uh, we've already seen reports, and we've, I, but, you know, it's training camp. It's preseason. We get reports all over the place. I mean, we went one week about the Packers. One day it was Allison. One day it was Valdez Scantling. And now we're seeing this where it's one day, Tariq Cohen's not going to get as much work. The next day it's, oh, Mike Davis is going to see more touches than we thought. Let's just talk about it as a whole is I believe Dave Montgomery is starting to, is going to walk into Jordan Howard's role and then some. And so, my worst case scenario is if he only gets Jordan Howard's touches from last year, I keep saying this, 270 touches by Jordan Howard. They've already admitted they like him better. You look at David Montgomery and talk about that aspect of it. He's a better all-around running back who can make an impact in the passing game. If anything, his floor, in my opinion, is Jordan Howard with a better receiving game. So again, those 270 touches, even if you say 260, and like Mike Davis is more involved than we thought he would be. The point being is they should be better touches than we saw from Howard. He fits this offense. He fits Nagy better. And I look at him as a rock-solid RB2, in my opinion. 
That that is bold. Um, I, I must say I'm a little bit lower. Um, you know, kind of just looking at what I like to do start with a baseline just to kind of curb expectations a little bit with some of these rookies because I know we're looking at them like all summer long. We're getting excited. Uh, you know, third round rookies running backs over the last five seasons uh, average. 104 carries and uh, 26 targets. So about 130 total opportunities. Um, and, and so uh, you're, you're extremely bullish projecting for about double. Sean, talk to me about Montgomery because I, I'm, you know, you're usually the guy kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum with, uh, again, guys with uh, not much of a track record. So where are you um, specifically, I think, just on Montgomery's uh, touches and role within that Bears offense? Yeah, so I actually have him a bit lower. I have him at 29. Um, I'm, I'm projecting him for around 15 touches a game. Uh, I think Jake talked about, you know, what his ceiling is uh, in that offense. But, uh, you know, I am worried about Tariq Cohn still, you know, dominating all of the pass-catching snaps. And then, you know, we saw Mike Davis ruin a rookie season last year with shot pennies. So, I mean, Mike Davis, we just can't ignore him. Um, so I'm, I'm making it a pretty crowded backfield. I'm obviously recognizing Montgomery's ceiling. Um, you know, when he's going the 22nd running back off the board right now, that's just a little too high. And, you know, you mentioned I'm a little um, bit bearish when it comes to rookies and stuff. But, you know, when it comes to Josh Jacobs, I have met running back 20 and I will gladly um, reach for him. I, I think he's more solidified in the workhorse role this year. Um, even a guy like Daryl Henderson, I'm more bullish on. So um, I, I think just David Montgomery fits the bill of a running back that I think people are just maybe too high on because they're anticipating more of his ceiling where I'm just trying to be sort of in the middle. And, you know, even if he if he doesn't pan out this year, I think his floor is still to be, you know, a pretty solid flex type of contributor. It's just going to require a pretty decent draft capital to get him. You know, it's funny because, you know, uh, you, you say you're uh, you're bullish on Jacobs. You have him at, at RB20. And it, it's always funny with, with us and, and the give and take in, in our guests because I, I'm bullish on him too. And I, I have him at uh, – what is it? RB 15. So you're not going to outboast me on that one, Sean, just like <laughs> Tyler. Um, but, but no, so yeah, you know, Montgomery, I actually have him as my RB uh, 32. So I'm a little bit, I guess, closer uh, to you, Sean, in that regard, I have him at 150 carries. So, so definitely more than you would expect for, for a back being taken, um, you know, with his draft pedigree, but I am a little concerned about Mike Davis. I do think that um, because Davis can catch the football, um, he will be involved in, in somewhat of a, a similar role to what he did in Seattle, where he'll catch the ball a little bit, he'll run the ball a little bit, just keep uh, Montgomery fresh, a, a veteran guy at this point that's been on, uh, you know, played in the backfield with Russell Wilson and, and who's, who's a really good quarterback and, and produced there. So uh, I think Davis will be involved at least early in the season. And that, that's what makes me a little more uh, bullish. Uh, excuse me, bearish on uh, David Montgomery in Chicago. Uh, let's move on because, you know, we've been talking about the, the Seattle backfield and Davis is gone. Uh, Rashad Penny's name has come up. I personally think he's going a little bit too high in, in fantasy drafts at, at this point. He's going as the RB32. Um, and it's not just that positioning among running backs. I just think there's better uses of your pick at that point in the draft um, than Rashad Penny. However, I also understand that people are kind of looking at the ceiling. Seattle, one of the most run-heavy teams in the league under Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, so, Jake, I'm going to kick it back to you. Where are you on Penny? And how do you kind of make sense of this Penny-Carson split? Because Carson's ADP seems to be getting lower and lower. And it's kind of outside the top 24. And, and Penny's is kind of knocking on the door of that top 30. So, yeah, I think it's twofold there. And let's go back to last season. And for everybody that knows me, knows I was one of the biggest fans of Rashad Penny that there was. And But even so, 
as in actually the tie, this ties in well with David Montgomery is we can watch the preseason and adjust. And, you know, maybe you guys end up being right. Maybe David Montgomery is monopolizing all the touches and you guys pull your rankings up, or maybe you still disagree. Point being, we saw that happen last year with Rashad Penny is even if you thought it was going to be a 50, 50 split, if you thought Rashad Penny was going to lead and Carson was going to be the change of pace from a power perspective, which was what I was expecting. Rashad Penny still got hurt. He got overweight while he was hurt. He looked poor while he was on the field. So I moved him down. I moved him down. I moved him down. Pete Carroll is also kind of insane. Like he doesn't know what he's doing from week to week. I don't even think he like wants to know how he wants to use his running back. So he said they both got to have a role this year. I do think both are going to have a role. And I think that's why Carson's pulling back is because he has an injury concern because he's been banged up almost every year of his career, even going back into college. And Rashad Penny has explosiveness, looks good in his passing game and getting through cuts and getting explosive plays downfield. Once he breaks through tackles, he has all that, but he does come with enormous questions from last year. As you said, He's actually going even higher than somebody that is a fan of him in and myself. I have him at RB36. I'm still not going to draft him much higher than that because it's a it's it's a not a crowded backfield, but it's it's what's the word I'm looking for? Confusing backfield is the best way to put it. I just don't know who you can trust week in and week out. It's almost like the Patriots just with two options. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I personally I think Penny is going to do whatever Carson does it as in, I think, and I was on team Carson last year and it wasn't like I'm some psychic or anything like that, but, but I was on team Carson from the jump. And it was just because every organization is different. Um, as you kind of alluded to, uh, I, I do a, a article, you know, three, three tendencies for every team's offensive coordinator, but I really am looking at the organization as a whole and how, you know, the, the front office is meshing with, with what's going on with the coaching staff and, and how those goals line up. And Pete Carroll made it clear that, that he preferred Carson, I think from the jump, um, reiterated it at any chance he got. And, and Penny was more of a kind of a front office pick that they spent high draft capital on. So they want to get out there. Um, and, and so I'm I not think even sure Pete Carroll was on board with that pick. It doesn't oh, even of course. And, and that's not to say Carroll, you know, I'm not saying it was like Carroll against the front office. I'm right. Right. Carroll's a guy. Uh, and I think he got alluded to it. He's insane, but he's all, he, he's just, he's not going to no one, not, no handouts. Every, the best guys will play. And, and I think that benefits a guy like Carson who they trust more in pass protection um, even though he hasn't caught the ball, I, he's still more trusted in that area. Penny only one third down uh, target on third or fourth down all of last season. Um, so, uh, you know, I think you're going to see more of the same. It's just that Penny now is going to be in that RB2 role uh, behind Mike Davis. Sean, do, do you disagree or where are you on this Carson versus Penny split? Yeah, so I mean, I think both backs can have fancy value. Uh, they run the ball a ton. So without Mike Davis there, I think they will be able to both um, be fancy viable. I, I do like Chris Carson. Um uh, you know, going back to what you were talking about earlier, my tier actually breaks after him. I actually have him as the uh, 21st running back, and I have over a 10-point gap between him and Mark Ingram. Um, and, you know, comparing him versus Ingram, I think Ingram's going to suffer a bit from Lamar Jackson, who runs a ton inside the 10-yard line, so he's going to sabotage some of his touchdown share. Um, if you, if you, you know, map out Lamar Jackson across the entire season, he would have finished fifth or sixth and attempts inside the 10 yard line, just behind guys like uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, Christian McCaffrey, guys like that. So, um, and Chris Carson happened to be fifth or sixth in uh, rush attempts inside the 10 yard line. And his quarterback, Russell Wilson, only attempted three times. Um, and that, that was alarming to me. Uh, you know, you had guys running backs, DeAndre Washington and Capri Bibbs, uh, attempt more ru running plays inside the 10 than Russell Wilson. I'd forgive you if you forgot those guys played football last year. So um, I think with Carson, I think he's still going to be the goal line back. 
Um, so Matt, no matter how this shapes up, I think he's going to see a ton of goal line opportunities too, and kind of boost him up if, if he happens to, you know, um, Penny eats away, you know, a couple touches a game from him. So I, I really do like Chris Carson again this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I have him uh, 18, 2021 in standard half and, and full PPR. And, and I just want to throw some numbers at you real quick before we move on. 266 touches over the last 13 games, regular season and postseason last year. That is 20.5 touches per game for Chris Carson. And remember, Rashad Penny was doing zero on third downs. Mike Davis now on the Chicago Bears. Penny, uh, only 19 of those 266 touches were receptions for Carson. There's receiving upside, and we know that the running isn't going away. So there's, I think there's some sneaky, sneaky, uh, you know, RB1, even high-end RB1 upside, especially in standard, but but even in, in half and full PPR, um, you know, if he can kind of realize that because Tyler Lockett's never been a volume guy, there's a chance the way Carson, um, the way Carol likes Carson, um, he could be the focal point uh, of this Seattle offense. And, and when, you, when you're in the backfield with Russell Wilson, uh, I don't think the floor is ever going to be, uh, you know, quite too low anymore, especially with, with Schottenheimer now. Um, they're going to run the football. So uh, I, I, I am bullish uh, on Chris Carson heading into 2019. Uh, let's talk about, um, you know, Daryl Henderson a little bit, Josh Jacobs. We already talked Montgomery. So, you know, Jake, uh, you're, you're extremely bullish on Montgomery. Tell me how you feel about these other two rookies that are in the top 36. Jacobs at RB20 on the Oakland Raiders uh, drafted in the first round. And then Daryl Henderson goes to what looks like a, a very good situation uh, in L.A. where they want to scale back Todd Gurley's usage a bit. And, and so they go out and draft Henderson in the third round. Again, um, you know, running backs drafted in the third round, about 130 opportunities in year one. Which would be good for what you're getting Henderson to talk about him first uh, because you've heard the reports now where are saying he wants the Chris Thompson role, which is Sean McVay. I, w- I wonder where he's got that from before. So if he's in the Chris Thompson role and he has that usage and that does spell Todd Gurley and pull back his touches per game, that's not a bad thing. That's that, like as disappointing as some people might be because to talk about those two running backs, and I'm glad you put them together because those were the only two running backs I had in my tier one before the NFL draft. Darrell Henderson for his landing spot is not in the best spot for production wise, but it can be fine if he's in the Chris Thompson role because you know what the Chris Thompson role is? A potential RB2 in PPR. Worst case scenario, you're talking about a half point PPR, full point PPR, flex running back. And I'd be fine with that. I think people should be happy with that because you don't always even get that. You just mentioned about the touches in a third round running back. So on the Josh Jacobs side, I'm really glad we got to come back to that because I was going to say you gave Sean a hard time about not being bullish enough as you. You're not even bullish enough as me because I have Josh Jacobs as 12 because I love Josh Jacobs. And I want to put one thing that I've continued to say on plenty of podcasts. We know that ta- like forget we know the talent. We know everything has been covered when it comes to Josh Jacobs. I want to squash and I'm sure you guys know it but there's a lot of people out there still saying it squash the misnomer that John Gruden doesn't use a bell cow running back because he gave Cadillac Williams 290 carries not touches carries in his first season at a college at 14 games got hurt comes back another 14 games 240 something carries he gave Ernest Graham 222 carries in 10 starts he gave Tyrone Wheatley guys 200 plus carries to back-to-back seasons it's not that he hasn't used a bell cow is he hasn't a lot of talent bell cow wise since basically Cadillac Williams I think and believe Josh Jacobs is going to touch the ball 300 times this year you know 
And it's not just those guys. And I, and I love the Tyrone Wheatley, the old school, you know, Giants callback, of course, played with the Oakland Raiders as well. But Marshawn Lynch, or should we say the ghost of Marshawn Lynch, 15 carries, 2.5 catches on 3.2 targets per game in the six games. Yeah. Off a year on the couch before he goes down. Now you, you kind of move up in the first round and get Jacobs. John Gruden, I, I think he's pretty kind of transparent. It's kind of easy to read certain moves by John Gruden because he's still reshaping this roster, uh, highly criticized for, for letting guys go, uh, such as Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. The talent on this roster and the guys he's going out to get, especially a guy like Jacobs, first round draft capital, I think he's going to use him. I think he's going to be a one-for-one replacement for that Lynch role, and that's kind of the floor. Uh, I don't quite have him at 300, but I have him 15 games, uh, 225 touches, uh, and another, uh, let's see, what, how many receptions do I have him at? I have him at, in another 38 catches, so I'm at about 260, which is still, I think, Good pretty number. bullish, especially when you factor in the one missed game. Uh, Sean... Where are you uh, on Josh Jacobs? I know you kind of talked a little bit about it. You're bullish. Um, I guess just tell us why you have him at the RB20, I think you said it was, um, and why you're hesitant to take him, I guess, over guys such as Marlon Mack or maybe uh, Devontae Friedman, Kerryon Johnson. Yeah, so, you know, going back to what I said, like the, the RB2 tier, I have, you know, all these guys separated just by a few points. So it's one slight tweak and he can go up, you know, a couple spots. Um, but it, for me, it's all about just getting at least two of these guys in this tier before the drop-off. So he's there just before the uh, RB2 tier drop-off. If you're in a normal league, uh, he's going the 20th back uh, off the board. So if you use my rankings, you might be able to get him. But, um, you know, any expert draft I've been in, Jacobs goes, you know, early third round. So, I have you know, there's always somebody more bullish on him than me in expert leagues. But, you know, your average fantasy league, I think that if you can get him, uh, you know, closer to the top 20 or at the back end, uh, I think that's going to be a steal because I think the upside is there. I'm actually right in line with you, Raybon. I have uh, close to 220 carries and 38 receptions. So we're pretty much in line. Um, I think it just has to do with, yeah, I might be a little bit more bullish on some of these guys like Marlon Mack with his touchdown upside or Derek Henry, just his overall touches and games played. Um, I think there's just little things like that that just have them over him, but it's so close with all these guys that I- I'm just trying to get two of these guys before it drops off a cliff. Yeah, and speaking of projections, uh, you can get Sean and myself's projections on actionnetwork.com. You sign up for Edge. You can now, in our fantasy football tool, see all our projected stats for every player and select by expert. Um, That was a big feature that we were hoping to roll out, and we have, so be sure to check that out on actionnetwork.com. Love Jacobs also because it wasn't overused um, in, in school young I think this guy you know when I look at some of these guys in his tier you know Freeman uh struggled with some injuries Marlon Mack has struggled with some injuries even Derrick Henry who I consider kind of like the epitome of durability just because he's so big um you know even he's struggling with some injuries so you know Carson as well Aaron Jones like everyone else you carry on Johnson missed games last year so everyone else has already had a track record of injury Josh Jacobs at least coming into the season as of this point pretty healthy knock on wood uh I think he has RB1 upside without a uh, doubt. <sighs> Henderson, we talked about. Another backup in explosive offense is Kareem Hunt, formerly of the Chiefs. He goes over to the Cleveland Browns. He's suspended for eight games. He's still going as the RB34. Jake, can a guy who misses eight games still 
provide top 36 running back value? I don't think so, because I think the only way you even see value, period, from Hunt is if Chubb gets hurt or Chubb all of a sudden bombs this year out of the blue and is like nothing like we've ever seen before because Chubb has the talent. Chubb has the talent to be a top 10 running back. People forgot that Chubb in college was being talked up as better than Todd Gurley until he exploded his knee. So the Chubb talent is almost back to where it was. He's never going to be 100% pre-injury, but... I don't see him seeding touches to Kareem Hunt and turning this into a 50-50. Kareem Hunt will be involved. That'd be stupid not to give him some touches. But I think when he comes back, unless something has gone wrong with Chubb, and at that point, your Chubb pick just blew up in your face because it blew up in your face, and that's what happens every single year. Somebody's going to get hurt. Something goes wrong. But unless something does go wrong, Hunt's going to get his five, six, seven, maybe eight touches a game. So if that's the case, then no, he's not going to return value because two things. He comes back in week 10 because they have their bye. So even if you're talking pre-playoffs, you're getting maybe three, four games at most before you're talking about that of value of a couple touches a game. So I just don't see it. I don't see the point in drafting him. I don't see the point in drafting him also for the fact that you can't even put him on your IR. You have to chew up a bench spot waiting until week 10, hoping that he has value when he comes back when I don't think he does. Yeah, it's kind of a stretch. I mean, you know, I tend to be a little bit more uh, bearish on on these kind of suspended guys because I just don't like starting at a deficit uh, in terms of games played. Um, You know, talked a little bit with with Scott Barrett on Twitter about that that yesterday. Um, I think I think they're you know more work has to kind of be done to figure out exactly how we need to value these guys, whether it's kind of, you know, averaging in kind of the value of a replacement player uh, along with the guys missed games or something to kind of get the best ranking. But Sean, uh, you know, Duke Johnson averaged 2.9 catches and 2.6 attempts. So 5.5 touches a game last season, uh, potentially going to get traded uh, at the deadline. Sean, is this a situation where at second half of the year you just kind of pencil hunt in for those 5.5 touches going for Duke, or, or do you see more? No, I, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, I'm usually a big advocate on adding guys that are suspended. I think they're usually yeah, low-key valuable. Um, like Mark Ingram last year, four-game suspension. I was I would advocate, you know, take them a little bit higher um, because I, I have looked into it. And, you know, it's it's pretty easy to replace players like that early in the season before buys hit and injuries happen. But, you know, with Hunt, a eight-game suspension, that is a little too long for my taste. And like like you guys said, he's not going to be uh, eligible until week 10. Um, and there's no real guarantee that he's going to have a fancy, valuable role. So I think he's just kind of wasting a roster slot that you can use for, you know, um, jackpots that you can hit early in the season that will give you, you know, 14 weeks of RB2 value. So he's just a guy I'm, I'm punting on. But I could see if, if you're just trying to go all in on, you know, Chubb possibly – uh, you know, having a season ending injury, obviously that would be huge if you had Hunt on your bench. But I just think there's so many of those types of situations. I'd rather have a guy that's at least going to possibly give you some value early in the season. Um, so I think, especially with his ADP at 34, that just makes it impossible for me to kind of figure out a strategy where that's going to, you know, you're going to come out on top on that without a Chubb injury. Yeah. And Sean, before we move on, I just want to quickly ask you, you know, you kind of mentioned that you usually do like these guys that, that are going to miss some games. Um, how are you factoring in those missed games into your rankings? Um, you know, are, are you kind of averaging in just like what the value of a replacement player would be when, when you kind of knock off the, the eight games? Or is it just kind of like a zero uh, for those eight games and, and just, um, you know, go related to that where what's the earliest you would be comfortable taking Hunt? 
Yeah, so for Hunt, I, I'm just doing it straight up raw projections. Last year, I did have something where I fudged with Mark Ingram where you're getting, you know, replacement level RB3 the weeks he's out, and he was like five to six slots higher than my raw rankings. I just think, like I said with Hunt, you're just burning a bench slot, which is pretty valuable. So it's it's past a certain point where I actually have him ranked outside my top 50. Um, I was in a charity best ball league where he, I think he fell to me outside of like the top 60. So I, I just took him there. I already had, you know, five backs, I think. Um, so there are certain situations, certain formats, like a, a 14 league, 24 uh, man roster best ball like I was in where, okay, it makes sense to have Hunt um, as your RB5. But if you're in just a redraft, uh, you know, 12 team league, uh, I'm, I'm just passing on it completely. Usually somebody's going to reach from pretty early on. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I have any shares of Hunt. The, the ADP is just too rich uh, for my blood. Probably wouldn't want to take them inside the top fifty backs. But let's move on to a backfield no one's probably that excited about because it's a team that no one's probably that excited about. The Miami Dolphins tend to have the lowest projected win total, no matter what sports book you look at. Kenyon Drake sitting right outside the top twenty-four um, at, at RB twenty-five, and then you have Kalen Balaj. Uh, second year man ripped off a long run you may remember against Minnesota last year at RB 52 now Belage kind of making me look smart uh, I did an article on actionnetwork.com about a month or two ago just highlighting some of my preseason uh, targets in best ball and, and Belage was one of them that you were essentially getting for free in a lot of the, the draft leagues um, or, or really late in the, in the 180 190s range um, he, he has taken first team reps um, Brian Flores new head coach there from the start has kind of said, Hey, this is an open competition. They'll both get carries comes from new England where Lord knows they use backs. They use a lot of backs and they use those backs a lot. So uh, Jake, talk to me about Drake and Bellage. You know, is there more value on Bellage simply because he's that RB uh, 52 or do you think Drake could also outplay his RB 25 draft cost? Honestly, and I hate to tell everybody listening, but I think there's a scenario for any of this. There is a scenario where Kenyon Drake dominates the touches and he's the Drake that where everybody stops hating the Drake and he's the Drake that people want to see. And then there's a scenario, as you just pointed out, where Balazs ends up being the lead and Kenyon Drake's in the passing game. And I don't think it's a zero sum. Like there's a there's a better than zero percent chance that Miles Gaskins ends up leading that backfield. And I'm not saying Miles Gaskins is better talent-wise than Kenyon Drake. I wouldn't say that. But Gaskin has a ton of balance, and he's got good vision. And they, he's somebody they drafted. It was only the sixth round and sixth round running back success. But the point being is I only use that because this front office, this coaching staff, well, more so the coaching staff, doesn't have any ties to Balaj or to Kenyon Drake. If they like their guy, who is Gaskin, again, it was just a flyer for the team's purposes. But I'm just saying, I don't think we can definitively say, as of today, Drake is the guy. I don't think we can say Balaj is the guy. And my one concern with Balaj is he has the athleticism. I just don't think he's a very talented running back. Like, I think... I think of a guy like Darrell Green Beckham, all the athleticism in the world. He's just not a good wide receiver. And that's why he didn't succeed in the NFL. So I've seen the talent and the upside of Balazs and maybe he continues to develop and becomes a better running back. And that's why that scenario is there. But as of today, I've been getting, as probably you have, more Balazs than Drake because Drake seems to be going in a reasonable spot. So it kind of depends on what I'm taking at that time. Balazs still feels undervalued for the potential of him leading that backfield. But I feel like our friend Matthew Barry talking about him every single week is going to ruin that draft capital that we're getting right now. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely do have uh, probably an embarrassing amount of Balazs. Most of it acquired in those 
um, you know, winter and spring months when, you know, I was probably the only person playing best ball against drafting against myself 12 times or something like that. But um, I, I've gone on record as saying I'm actually a, a huge Kenyon Drake fan. Like I, I, I it was kind of half joking uh, on Twitter before last season, but I, I was looking at, uh, you know, Kenyon Drake's career kind of up until that point. And I'm like, hey, you know, this guy is kind of like, has the career trajectory of like a, a homeless man's Jamal Charles. I mean, every year he's averaging, you know, a high yard per carry, you know, five, four, four, eight. And then last year he goes uh, for four, five. Um, you know, some games he barely, he doesn't even get a carry uh, or barely gets a carry. Yet he scores nine touchdowns on this abysmal uh, Dolphins offense. He scores that miraculous end of game touchdown uh, again to upset the Patriots. I mean, every time you put the ball in Kenyon Drake's hands, good things are happening. Uh, you know, this despite a poor offensive line. So I, I think that, you know, new head coach Brian Flores is just being smart with, with Drake. He's a guy who, uh, you know, 6-1-2-11, I think a little bit upright, maybe even though he's played all 16 games, maybe maybe you don't want to give him a, a ton of work. Um, and so you are going to mix in Balazs. I think both of them will, will be involved. You know, Gaskin is a guy, I think he's clearly probably got that that third running back slot locked up. Um, but in terms of just like, you know, a round seven draft choice, which is what uh, Gaskin is, it would be, uh, I guess, highly unusual um, if he were to see any more than about, you know, 50 opportunities this year, uh, you know, seventh round picks at running back over the last five years, uh, averaging uh, about uh, 28 opportunities, carries plus targets um, in, in year one. So I think they'll probably need an injury for that. But I mean, I think I see Drake with some upside as like a poor man's uh, James White or something like that. Um, it's just that the, you worry about the touchdowns because this Miami offense <laughs> probably won't be good. Now, the one good thing is that when when you when you have question marks down the field, that does tend to lead to, to more dump offs. And both Drake and Balazs can catch the football. I think there's more value on Balazs, but Drake is starting to slip in drafts. I wouldn't mind uh, picking him up if he's if he's falling to you in that fifth round or even the sixth, um, and he's going kind of outside that top uh, 25. Speaking of the Patriots. Sony Michelle is the RB26 in average draft position. James White, the RB28. And, and Damian Harris, the RB43. And, of course, James White will be a little higher. Um, this, is, this is half point PPR, ADP on Fantasy Pros, which is just a consensus of multiple of, of the most popular sites, ESPN and such. But it, he'll be a little higher in full point PPR. But, Jake, uh, you know, here we have kind of a three-man backfield. And, uh, you know, Brandon Bolden was guaranteed. You know, he's going to play special teams. So he's probably taking up a roster spot because they – they gave him some guaranteed money. Um, that might mean Rex Burkhead is out, but you still got three backs. Michelle banged up already. Uh, how do you see this Patriots backfield shaking out? And where's the value? It's it's the value. And what I always treat this team as every single year is I'm just going to take whoever's the cheapest to get my piece. And if it works out, great. Because last year, the cheapest piece was James White. Rex Burkhead was going in the fifth at the end of the preseason. People seem to have forgotten that so quickly. Uh, if Rex Burkhead might be on the team. You're right. Maybe they make moves and he's not. Maybe they deploy James White you know, in the slot a little bit more and then they keep Rex Burkhead. All that being said, the concern for me is not James White. James White is fine. He's locked in. He's a PPR value because people are still drafting him as a fringe RB2 despite the fact he finished as a half point and full point PPR top 10 running back. So James White is James White. 
So he has value. My value of the other side is D- Damian Harris right now because he is the cheapest because it's something that Emery Hunt, a scout that's over at The Athletic with us, who is one of the best scouts I've ever talked to in my life, and I've scouted college players for years. And it's one of these things that my eyes just open, which is something I've just never paid attention to until he pointed it out to me, credit to him. And he said, when Sonny Michelle, we were talking, when he came out of college, he goes, watch how hard he drives his legs into the ground. of the time, no matter if he's making cuts, no matter if he's running straight, sideways, whatever, he just drives his legs into his ground. That knee issue from college is going to carry over, mark my word. That was his quote. He's 100% right. It's still carried over. And I know the offseason surgery, quote unquote, is minor, but I don't think the knee issue is going away. And if you put money on it, you told me to go to Vegas and put money on it, I would put the under and well under on Sonny Michelle playing a full season. I would even probably take the under on 12 games played. So I think Damian Harris is the best value by far right now. Woo, Sean, I know that you do not like to um, kind of deviate too much in your games played projections because that throws a lot of things off, especially when it comes to, to you know, season-long props and, and whatnot. So um, just talk to me about your projections for, for the usage for each of these guys in that New England backfield. And if you do have any thoughts kind of on Michelle's games played and I think his carries because, I mean, I'd be surprised if he catches even one pass a game. Yeah, so I actually do um, have him as well. Aside from Melvin Gordon, I have Melvin Gordon at 13 games played, just trying to assess the risk in his holdout. But Sony and Michelle, I have the second lowest at 13.2. Um, so I guess I'd be giving Jake the over 12 and a half there if he wants it. But <laughs> I think with with Michelle, I think the the good thing about him is when uh, you know you know when you should play him when he's active, and especially you know game script that's going to um, allow them to just you know run him in the ground, so to speak. So. I think Michelle does have value and you're, you're probably going to get some really good games out of him. And uh, otherwise, you know, he'll be on your bench. Um, and then, you know, James White is always a valuable play, especially at his ADP of uh, 28 right now. He's just always consistent. He might not have that, you know, overall RB1 upside, but I don't really care. He's, he's a consistent guy. His role is pretty much solidified. So I think he's a slight value as well. And then Damian Harris is probably the best value of the, the bunch. Um, you know, he's going 43 right now. Like Jake mentioned, he's probably going to get a few starts uh, in the Sonny Michelle role anyway. But, um, you know, if Michelle, if the knee does act up and he mix, misses extended time, Harris could be a, you know, consistent RB2 kind of guy. Um, and, you know, even especially if they uh, end up cutting Rex Burkhead, I think that's going to help uh, his floor even more. Um, and yeah, you know, Damian Harris, we're, we're gushing over Josh Jacobs, but he started over Josh Jacobs at Alabama. I mean, he's a talented back. Uh, Bill Belichick always gets the best out of his back. So I think that Damian Harris outside of the top 40s is one of my favorite sleeper picks uh, to stash to start the season. Yeah, Damian Harris, for those not familiar, uh, rookie out of Alabama. I feel like every week last year, the question was, is he going to average over six yards of carry in a game again? Because, um, you know, finished... At 6.6, you know, 87th percentile Uh, among running backs, uh, you know, when you look at him, very talented guy. And, you know, I want to get you guys thoughts on this quickly. Here's my theory. I think the Patriots know that Sony Michelle uh, doesn't have the best durability. I I think that's kind of what led them to take to use uh, precious day two draft capital and take Harris at the back end of the third round. Because when you look at Michelle, 16 uh, carries in the regular season is what he averaged, 16.1. But then you get to the playoffs, and in the three playoff games, he averages 23.7 carries. The Patriots, more than any other team in the league, 
a team that they kind of begin with the end in mind. They're not as concerned with September and October as they are with getting right by November, December, January. Do you think that could potentially be going into the thinking like, hey, we need a guy to soak up some of these carries early on, uh, but late in the year uh, and into the playoffs is when we're really going to kind of uh, let Michelle lose? I think it's a good theory for the fact of let somebody else draft Sonny Michelle, watch the cluster that is everybody being <laughs> healthy and involved right now, be frustrating for the first three or four weeks and then throw out a low ball offer. And then because maybe it's Michelle, he's the one that gets hurt. But I hate to use this cliche because I never say draft with this in mind. But it, for this scenario, I think people will understand. It's like don't ever, things work themselves out, quote unquote. I hate that because that's just it's such a it's I would even call it like a crutch argument. But the point being is. The, the truth of the NFL is, let's say even Rex Burkhead is still on this team, and it's Rex Burkhead, James White, and Damian Harris, and Sony Michel. The truth of the NFL is that by the time we get to week 12, there's a good chance one, if not two, are out of the equation. Whether it's injury, whether it's performance, that one or two are cleared out. And for your point, if they're going to ride Sony Michel into the playoffs and know that that's their best chance to win late and keep him healthy for that stretch run, then maybe he's somebody you let somebody else take and then try to trade on the low. Yeah, I really like that because I think the way it's looking, you know, Michelle's average draft position is already slipping. We're still about a month, a little more than a month out from the season. Um, and if he starts the year with an injury, if he's questionable or out for week one, I think people are really going to shy away and he might even have some bad games early as they kind of keep the kid gloves. So definitely a situation where I'm looking to potentially target Michelle with a waiter in the year and maybe even sell high on Harris, depending on how um, he is doing. But yeah, James White, with Gronk in the lineup over since 2015, four catches, 34 yards, 0.3 touchdowns, um, 11.4 PPR points. But without Gronk, he's up to 6.6 targets, 4.9 catches, 45 yards, and 0.43 touchdowns. So uh, 13.9 PPR points. Um, James White at, at gives you about two and a half points extra value with Gronk out of the lineup. I, I think he's going to see the ball a ton. Remember, Nikhil Harry struggling a bit with separation. Maurice Harris, of, uh, formerly of the Redskins, getting reps over him in, in, th in some of the three wide sets. So uh, I think when it comes down to it, after Edelman, um, James White's going to be the next guy that Tom Brady looks to when he's dropping back. Speaking of a guy I am not looking to at all, probably one of the only guys that I'm saying, I'm just, I'm just not drafting him. Um, Darius Geis. He, he's the, his ADP is the RB29. Then you got Adrian Peterson at the RB46. Uh, Chris Thompson, 71. I mean, this just seems off to me because – the Redskins coaching staff has flat out come out and said, Hey, we want it to be a split between Geis and Peterson, maybe even 60, 40 um, at, at best. Um, and I just don't have the confidence that even if Geis is on the, the 60% end of it, which I don't think he will be, I think it will be a motivated Peterson because he's broke. Um, uh, I just don't have any confidence that Geis can overcome the injury, uh, the ACO, then overcome another injury that he's struggling with in camp, overcome the lack of experience um, and overcome the fact that it's, a, it's probably going to be a three-way committee. Um, rather than just a two to kind of outkick that draft cost and become a top 24 back or better. Uh, Jake, am I right or wrong? You're right in what we're assessing as of today. I think if you look at the potential situation and why I'll take a gamble on Darius Geis uh, a little bit earlier than most people is because I see the upside is that you told me today he was 100%. I would say this is going to be Geis's backfield. I don't think Adrian Peterson gets knocked away completely, but I think he'll be enough touches if he were 100% 
to be in the RB2 conversation. And I, it w- it's only not higher because of the offensive line and the offense as a whole. Like Darius Geis, if he's on the Dalvin Cook path, his timeline puts him ready and 100% for week one. But as you mentioned, there's been another setback. There's been an injury. Adrian Peterson still hanging around. So all those concerns is what knocks him down into this range. I'm okay taking him here. I might even take him a half round earlier just because it's we're so early in the draft process that the potential upside, like I said, is RB2. I will admittedly say, though, taking him where I'm taking him, it's because I already have two solid, maybe even three solid running backs on my team, and I'm absorbing that risk. I would never take him as my number two if I went wide receiver heavy, and I'd be reluctant to even take him as my third running back. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just more like – I think you start to get after you get outside of the guys who are really guaranteed anything in these backfields. I I just rather wait a couple more rounds. And and I think Harris better offense, um, you know, similar talent, maybe, you know, maybe not as high ceiling of a talent, but I mean, I I just rather get a guy like that. Um, um, So I'm off guys, Sean, where are you with these projected touches in this Redskins backfield? Because I mean, it's kind of a mess and and the injuries just complicate everything. Cause I mean, is Chris Thompson going to play double digit games this year or, or not? I mean, who knows with him? And then who knows when Bryce Love will be, uh, a, you know, healthy enough to go. So this whole backfield, I'm, I'm pretty much avoiding. You can make a case for Chris Thompson in a PPR, just, you know, an emergency bi-week fill-in kind of guy. Um, but yeah, Geis and Peterson, I, I want nothing to do with, you know, a true timeshare between two down backs on a bad team. That just sounds like a recipe for disappointment. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I do understand Geis' upside, um, but, you know, there's just, better uh, value right here with you know Latavius Murray who I love Daryl Henderson uh, Austin Eckler I just rather kind of wait for those guys to fall to me than kind of reach for a guy like guys just this backfield in general is a mess Um, and you know I don't like to invest in backfields on bad teams so that's that's partly why my projections for them are just a little bit lower than ADP and why they're not really part of my draft plan right now yeah you know I, I have Peterson leading the backfield but um, I, I don't have either of those guys clearing 150 carries uh, for the season. I think they're going to kind of cannibalize each other's value. And I, I will say this, uh, just, you know, not last season, but in 2017, only 10 backs outscored Chris Thompson in, in PPR points per game. We're over here talking about, you know, Darrell Henderson with the Rams as a guy who's going to play the Chris Thompson role. Um, and you, you have to spend like a sixth, seventh round pick for him. Uh, Chris Thompson essentially free. So especially if maybe you do draft someone in a PPR league at a value like a Sony Michelle or somebody that, um, you know, may miss some time early on uh, in the season, uh, Chris Thompson, not the worst guy to kind of scoop up, you know, in the last round, maybe even stash, don't draft a kicker or, or defense as Sean likes to um, kind of bang the drum on, but, but just kind of hold Thompson or maybe, maybe you might end up using him for a week or two uh, early in the season. Cause I don't think the Redskins are going to be very good. Um, and, and that would kind of, uh, you know, lead to what I think would be at least until week two when they all congregate um, in the hospital, uh, you know, some, some value for Chris Thompson. All right, we got, we got a couple more backfields to get through. Let's go a little bit quicker here. Uh, Jordan Howard in Philly is the 80, by ADP is the RB32. The rookie Miles Sanders, the RB37. Howard apparently been dominating the first team reps in camp. But, but then, of course, we, just when we hear that, we also hear, you know, glowing reports about Sanders. Uh, Jake, how are you kind of, uh, approaching the silly backfield. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'm going to let somebody else draft Sanders and then try and scoop him up on the cheap after the frustration for the first couple of weeks. Similar to the Patriots thing we're talking about, but the entire time I've been saying this, Miles Sanders 
is no question the best talent in that backfield. Jordan Howard is Jordan. He's an average running back. He's going to see the touches to Miles Sanders as the lead option at some point, but it's still Doug Peterson's offense. The lead option still doesn't mean as much as it does on most teams. Darren Sproles was signed back because he's not going to let Darren Sproles go if he's got any gas left in the tank. So even Miles Sanders leading the backfield is still probably only about 15 touches a game, but it is the Eagles offense and it's the Eagles backfield and offensive line. So I want that, but knowing that it's going to be a mix off the start from Miles Sanders missing time this offseason and being a rookie slow to develop into this team, I think the first two or three weeks are going to be frustrating, and I'd rather let somebody else draft that problem and then go take them from him. Sean, uh, you know, thoughts on the on the Philly backfield. Uh, a note I should point out to everyone listening is they did re-sign veteran Darren Sproles to a one-year deal um, when Sproles has been on the roster as he's been these last couple of years under Doug Peterson. Uh, he's been on the field. Um, so I, how does the Sproles signing impact uh, the value for Sanders, and, and how are you approaching Howard versus Sanders? Oh, man. I mean, I, I made a promise to myself a couple years ago not to bother with the Eagles backfield ever again. I can't tell you how much money I've lost on like in DFS, uh, you know, rotating between Wendell Smallwood, JJ, Corey Clement. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. But, you know, Miles Sanders could break that curse. I think he could be the guy that we've been waiting for. Um, and like Jake said, you know, someone's usually reaching for him. Um, so I, I don't really get him much, but you know, it goes back to my point earlier where the, the range of outcomes for him is pretty wide. So I think, you know, if he's falling towards, you know, the back end of the thirties or early forties, I think that that wide range kind of um, benefits him because you're, you're getting him pretty cheap. We, we all know his upside. So you're getting that at a cost where he doesn't really have to hit his upside to hit value. So, um, but I actually like the idea that Jake's floating out there is um, let someone else draft him, um, let him struggle a few weeks and then, yeah, try to flip him and try to buy low just because his, his price right now is about right. But I, I think after um, the season starts, people might get impatient and more willing to, you know, trade him away. Yeah. And, and the one thing about, you know, Doug Peterson, he has always been a kind of a committee guy. And I, I actually, I'm, I'm the highest on Howard in this backfield. And one of the reasons is number one, they went out and got the guy, you know, just like they went out and got a JHI, um, Peterson has shown a preference for these kind of early down backs that don't catch the ball a lot. I mean, in his tenure, they've had Ryan Matthews, LeGarrette Blunt, Jay Ajayi. I mean, how many catches those guys combined for in a, in a given season? I mean, uh, like over under 16. Um, so, you know, I think Howard will be very involved, uh, especially early on. He is the veteran. Um, we're hearing he's, do- quote unquote, dominating first team reps. I-, I think he just has to, you know, as Jake alluded to, pay attention in camp. But for right now, I don't really think you can do much, but um, go with Howard. I have Sanders uh, as my RB 41 in half point and full and 40 in standard. I just don't really, um, you know, know what else to do with him other than kind of treat him like a, a fringe, you know, committee back at this point. And, you know, and, and until we see more, I think that's what it is. I think later in the season, he will, um, you know, finish stronger than, than earlier. San Francisco backfield, Tevin Coleman, RB30, Jarrett McKinnon, RB40, Matt Breida, excuse me, Matt Breida, RB50. Breida was a guy I I was high on last year, uh, you know, more so than Alfred Morris. I I just thought his his kind of more complete skill set brought a lot to the table. But now you got three guys that kind of have these complete skill sets, all vying for touches. Coleman, somewhat of a surprise signing. Jake, is there any value in this San Fran backfield, whether it's Coleman at 30, McKinnon at 40, or Breida at 50? You know, I really think these are proper values. I, I think that Coleman could end up being the best value here. Uh, but we saw, look, people wanted Tevin Coleman to get his opportunity to lead a backfield, and he did with a really good offense last year. 
and he didn't do much with it. And for everybody's like, oh, now he's back with uh, Tyle Shanahan. Well, let's be honest about Steve Sarkeesian when he came in. The offense wasn't that different than what a Kyle Shanahan offense is. So I don't, I don't understand why people are making this assumption that it was such a poor situation. It's going to be so much better. I would put my money on Coleman, but there's also – I use that number specifically – I use that word specifically, money, is because a friend of – I'm sure you guys too, is Mike Tagliere, pointed out the fact that they brought McKinnon back despite the opportunity they could have gotten out of the majority of his contract that they let him go. So that's a lot of money they're paying him where they had the opportunity to get out of it. They're bringing him back. He is the best pass catching option on this team. You mentioned it. Matt Breida definitively looked like the best running back at times last year. I think if everybody's healthy, it sounds like Breida probably is the one that's inactive because they've talked about the use check is going to be in the backfield and that Mostert's going to be on special teams. So one of them has to sit. So I would go Coleman right now, but I don't know if it's not just going to be a headache for the entire year, similar to what we see with the Patriots often. Yeah, and that's really the key here is that th- th- you could be looking at it inactive. Um, I'm of the opinion, actually, that that it would be McKinnon. I, I think they were really high on him last year, but I, I think Breida just played too well. I, I think Breida just played too well. Um, and, and even though he, sh- he gutted it out through injuries, which you know goes over real well in the locker room, goes over real well with the coaching staff, and still was efficient when he was on the field. Um, Sean, you kind of asked Friedman and I earlier this year, if McKinnon could get cut, um, you know, now it's about a month or so later. Um, just where are you, I guess, on this backfield quickly? Yeah, I, I think it's a mess. It's really hard to, um, you know, reach for any of these guys because it, it's so crowded. But, you know, their ADP is right in line. So if you feel strongly about a guy, uh, go for it. But, you know, j- as Jake mentioned, I think one of these guys will be inactive every week, which could help clear up some of the value. Or, uh, you know, at least we can funnel these touches to a certain guy. And I think that would be Tevin Coleman. But you know that you still have guys like Raheem Ozer, Kyle Juszczyk, and even Jalen Hurd might be a weapon out of the backfield. So there's just so much clutter that, um, you know, these are the type of situations where I typically just uh, avoid altogether. Yeah, I mean, give me Kittle. Give me Jimmy Garoppolo late if I'm, if I'm waiting on a quarterback. And everyone in between, it's kind of a cluster, you know, of, of guys who could get targets, who could get carries. Um, but I will say I do have Rita – um, rank above McKinnon because I just think coming off the injury, he has to prove himself again. Um, and, and I'm not so sure that he's not the one that, that ends up uh, inactive on game days. All right. So we've gotten through pretty much uh, all the backs, you know, in that, you know, outside the top 12, inside the top 36. Um, so, so just to recap, before we get out of here, we're going to do some, some sweepers in a second, but first, uh, Jake, I'll start with you. Just, your top two targets, um, you know, so one, your top target in that, that 13 to 24 range and your top target in that 25 to 36 range. And then on the flip side, the, the one guy you're avoiding in each of those tiers. And in those range. All right. So I think people will know by now that, that, that if we're using that tier from the ADP, it's Josh Jacobs easily in that tier too, because I have him in tier one for all intents and purposes. So that would be the one for me there. Uh, the one I would actually avoid in that range is Philip Lindsay. I, I don't know that they give him that kind of workload again. And Royce Freeman's going to get another crack at the job. And they've already talked about bringing in Theo Riddick. I just, I think they know the body mass is, is dangerous when you're that size. And maybe we don't give him as many touches this year. So those would be those two. And tier three, it's a tough one, but I'm probably who I, I think I'm going Latavius Murray slightly over Daryl Henderson. And we didn't even talk about Latavius Murray, but he's taking the Mark Ingram role that that has inherent standalone value, let alone if Kamara misses time, 
I, I, you're going, I don't understand why more people aren't trying to just go ahead and take Latavius Murray as even a flex running back. And then to avoid from that group, I'm just going to, we talked about, I'll throw Kareem Hunt out because we kind of covered, it just doesn't make sense. So I'm, I'll go up with Tevin Coleman, who we just talked about that. I, I just can't spend that on Tevin Coleman. Yeah, it's just like I think Coleman is kind of valued correctly as the RB30 because I do have him, uh, you know, about the over under for his touches right around the, that that double digit mark of, of 10, which is where he's pretty much been, you know, 9, 5, 10, 10, 5, 11 um, throughout his career. But but I'm with you on Coleman. It's really tough at, at, at that 60th overall range because that's where I think you, you can start right. looking at some of the tight ends maybe that dropped or, or, or just getting like a wide receiver three or something like that. Um, Sean. How about you, guy you're targeting in each of the uh, tiers, the RB2 and RB3 tier, and then a guy you're fading? Yeah, so for the RB2 tier, the guy I've been loading up all offseason has been Kerryon Johnson. I was kind of anticipating Theoretic getting cut, but now that he has, I've updated the projections, and he's my RB14 now. Safely projected for about 50 receptions. He's a lock if he stays healthy um, to finish as a high-end RB2, so I love him there. And then RB3 tier, uh, Jake mentioned him, but I've been raving about him all offseason as Latavius Murray. He was the top back in my running back upside rankings, where I went in and I you know, projected every team starter being out, and Latavius Murray was a low-end RB1 if Alvin Kamara's out. And you know, even when Alvin Kamara's healthy, he's going to put up solid, possibly low-end RB2 flex-type numbers. And that's you know, just assuming he picks up only about 80% of the Mark Ingram role. So I think he's a steal already as is. Um, and then my fades, I mentioned him earlier, was uh, Damian Williams. Um, just he's kind of at the top of the RB2 tier. And, you know, I'm all about tiers. So it's it's all about getting the guys closer to the end of the tier, just getting as many guys from this tier as possible. And Damian Williams is going where I'm still um, trying to get my second wide receiver. So I'm, I've been kind of passing up on him just based on my draft plan in general. And then RB3 tier, Kareem Hunt, definitely, but that's a little too easy, I think. So I'm going to go with Lamar Miller, who, you know, I've loved over the past few years. He's such a sneaky, you know, late round guy, but um, he's a guy that you should take if you don't want to finish last place in your league. Um, like if you have one of those punishments where you need to get a tattoo saying I suck at fantasy football, take him <laughs> if you don't want to finish last. But I, I like to play for first place. So, um, you know, a guy like him, he, he just doesn't have the upside, especially with Deontay Foreman. Deontay Foreman might not ever become the, you know, RB2 kind of back we thought because of his Achilles injury. But I think he's going to have enough of a role where he might make a Lamar Miller very frustrating this year. And, you know, some guy that he, he might drop more to a flex to, you know, just a bench stash. So he's a guy I'm kind of avoiding in this tier because I'm, I'm all about upside once you get to this point. Can we just create a, a, a whole new tier for, for Lamar Miller, like the the, the avoid punishment <laughs> tier? Like, is that yes, just like, because yes. he's like the only boring kind of safe. Like, we I, know what his workload is generally going to be. He's probably going to get 60 to, to 70% of the work, <laughs> probably rush for under 1,000 yards with with underwhelming numbers all around, but but stay on the field, pass block a lot. I mean, it's just it's just boring at this point. Avoid <laughs> humiliation tier, basically. <laughs> Nobody has ever legitimately clicked on Lamar Miller in the draft and been like, yes! <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe in like 2014 or 15 or something like that. But yeah, it's he's dependable. I don't know when it will run out, but I mean, yeah, he's a guy I usually draft if like I'm going zero RB and I'm like, I'm short of RB2 and he drops a little bit. I'm like, all right. I'll kind of fill up my roster with a guy that's at least going to start the year as a starter. But if that's not the most boring pick, 
uh, in fantasy. And you probably took the entire clock looking for another solution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm scrambling back and forth between positions. I'm about to take a quarterback early just to avoid taking, but, uh, no. um, you know, for me, you know, the, in the, in that RB two tier, uh, somebody I'm targeting is again, I like the whole tier, you know, right on down Damian Williams, right through Josh Jacobs, who I have a lot higher, but the guy I'll say again is Chris Carson, just because I think he's the one guy that people might not have in that tier. Um, he's actually going one spot behind Mark Ingram, who I think is a, a fine pick, but uh, kind of a similar guy to Carson, a run heavy offense, except uh, Ingram's a little bit older. His quarterback is running the ball a little more than Russell Wilson is in Seattle at this point. So again, 20.5 touches over those last 13 regular season and playoff games for Carson. I think he has some untapped upside uh, still. And, and as a guy I'm fading, it, it, you know, I, I like most of the tier, I guess the only guy, and I hate to go against it, Jake, would, would be Montgomery just because I think he hasn't quite earned that that RB22 average draft position just yet. I still think there are concerns about his workload. I think eventually he probably gets there, but it might not be in week one. And I think some of those other guys or most of the other guys you're taking are kind of uh, there already. In, in the RB3 tier, uh, guy I am targeting, uh, you know, probably with Tavius Murray. I mean – I have him more as an RB30. He's usually going as a, a 36. Um, you guys already hit on it. Mark Ingram will maybe not quite as much pass catching, but uh, I think Murray has huge upside and will have some big weeks, some multi-touchdown weeks. Um, so you just kind of throw him in your flex, and, and he's kind of – can be an X factor for you. And uh, guy I am avoiding uh, in that tier, you know – gotta be guys I mean I don't I still don't get the RB29 I just think that it's not even a, a given that he is has a leg up on Peterson or or will at any point this season I mean it could really be a 50-50 split um as as the coaching staff uh, alluded to uh, so let's get out of here by leaving all the listeners out there with what I'm pretty sure is their favorite thing sleepers Jake I'll start with you Give me one sleeper in that, you know, probably going to get drafted, but outside the top 36. And then just one deep sleeper that you, you can probably get for free that, 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 that goes undrafted. In, in. Oh, I know. I know the one you can get for free. I, I, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the 36 to like the 60 range that I'm kind of looking at is it's not even a sleeper. It's a name that people don't know. It's I still don't get why people aren't drafting him and are so hell bent on ignoring him in drafts, especially in PPR. It was a bad season last year, but if we're this excited about the Browns and we're this excited, even if he is traded at the deadline, who cares? Duke Johnson should not be going as deep as Duke Johnson is going. He is still, if implemented correctly, one of the best pass-catching running backs in the NFL. He's part of the reason I'm not as high on Nick Chubb's projections because they would have to make a concerted effort to get Chubb more passing game work, and I don't think they do until they trade Duke Johnson, if they even do. I think Duke Johnson is just being so disrespected this year. The second one, second one. Yeah, super deep. This is, I know he's not because I even checked on the page on the link that you sent. He's not even on the page, which doesn't make any sense because the Lions just got rid of Theo Riddick. They just gave Theo Riddick still around 70 targets last year and he missed two games. I, I, Ty Johnson stepping into the Theo Riddick role. Patricia has made it clear he's going to, as you said earlier in the show, he has a role for his running backs and Ty Johnson is stepping into the Theo Riddick role. Sure, he could bust. But he is beyond free. He is beyond, like, he's undrafted and then a few more rounds, and then he's still undrafted. So I'm just stashing Ty Johnson in a lot of full-point PPR leagues. Can't argue with those, man. I, that was, I, the, Ty Johnson, I mean, I, I thought you might go for C.J. Anderson when you started talking about the <laughs> Lions backfield because, I mean, I mean, let's be real. He could, 
in the he could play the Garrett Blunt role a lot better than Blunt played it last year when he averaged I think under three yards to carry. Sean, how about you? Give me a, a sleeper in that RB uh, outside the top thirty-six, but inside the top sixty, and then a deep guy that usually goes undrafted. So my sleeper outside the top uh, thirty-six would be Austin Eckler. I was. Um, actually liking him at his ADP before the Melvin Gordon drama happened. So, you know, I think he's uh, he, he's a pretty low ceiling kind of guy, but high floor is a, a pass catcher in that offense. Uh, but with Melvin Gordon, you know, I, I think it's possible he misses some time. Uh, Eckler, you, know, you could check my running back upside rankings uh, article for this, but he, he jumps up to mid-range RB2. And then, you know, Justin Jackson will take over, you know, a lot of the uh, Melvin Gordon role. But I think Eckler... Um, even if Gordon plays all 16 games, I think he can um, hit value at his current ADP. So you're getting the upside of Gordon missing time basically for free right now. So uh, I like Eckler there. And then my deep super is Chase Edmonds. Um, you know, he's, uh, again, referencing my running back upside article. He'd be the guy that would see the biggest boost if the starting running back is uh, ever missing time uh, in David Johnson. But I think he could actually carve out a role where he could be, you know, like a, a heavy week by a heavy week by kind of uh, flex guy. You know, Cliff Kingsbury has mentioned that he expects a really nice role for Edmonds. I happen to think that's his coach speak. Um, but, you know, if their offense is as fast as we think it could be and they're you know running over 70 plays a game, David Johnson is going to need a breather. So Chase Edmonds can have a nice little six to eight touch roll on a weekly basis, even if DJ is uh, healthy. Uh, and I love getting backs like that. You know, we mentioned Latavius Murray earlier, but a guy that can just propose, he can pose, you know, um, you know, flex value, even when the starting back is healthy and then, you know, has high upside RB2 um, upside uh, if David Johnson were ever missed time. So I just love Chase Edmonds. You can get him for free. His ADP is running back uh, 76 right now. So I, I like taking him as a last round flyer. Yeah, yeah, I love Edmonds. I mean, I think he's going criminally overlooked in drafts when you're getting a guy that's a clear handcuff to a, to a you know, a top five pick, essentially. Um, I, I think you got to jump on it because Edmonds uh, can catch the football. Uh, for me, it's a, a guy we already talked about outside the top 36, Damian Harris. Um, you know, Jake, you kind of alluded to it. You got to take the cheapest piece in this New England backfield. Harris is that guy. Reports out of camp, three down. It was has looked good on all three downs. I know James White will probably be um, in there on a lot of the pass downs, but James White could also split out. And if they want to get Harris involved, I think they will. I also think they do um, want to preserve Michelle, who is a little bit banged up. And as a guy, you know, outside of the um, the top sixty, um, I am actually going to go with uh, another guy um, from that Detroit backfield in C.J. Anderson, because I think if you look at LeGarrette Blunt, you know, they, they want to run the ball more. And, and Blunt got about, you know, 10 carries per game last season. Now they got Daryl Bevel. They're going to run even more. And I think on Johnson is still a guy that they're going to let him catch the ball. I think Riddick opens up a lot of catches for him. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to give him 20 carries. Um, you know, Johnson was in that 11 to 13 carry range in, in most weeks. And I think that, Anderson can push for double-digit carries each week. He's not going to give you much catch in the football, but uh, he could give you, uh, at the goal line, uh, quite a few touchdowns, uh, especially if this is kind of a, a you know vintage Daryl Bevel offense. So he's a guy that you can kind of get for free, who, who I really think has some upside now uh, that Theo Riddick no longer on the team. And that does it. Jake, really thank you for, for joining us. And uh, – you know, tell us where we can find you and uh, anything you want to plug or that you're working on. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. It was definitely it was I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. It was a good discussion, as you said, especially on a lot of concerning running backs. And yeah, at the athletic and actually for your people that listen to your show, if they want the discount, if you go to the athletic slash all in sports was the name of my podcast. That's a 40% discount if you haven't signed up yet. So there, yes, I'll pimp myself out a little bit right there. But you know, people know where I'm at. I, all in kid, I tweet out everything anyway. You guys are probably, you two are probably annoyed with how much you see me in your timeline. So <laughs> you can always find me on Twitter. Great work. Uh, again, thanks for, for coming through. Really enjoyed the discussion. Sean, tell everybody where they can find you and what you're up to. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker. Later this week, I'm going to be starting my tiers. So um, rolling out my QB running back, wide receiver, tight end tiers uh, next week, going over all the strategy and, uh, you know, specifically who's in each tier for me heading into 2019. And I am Chris Raybon. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. You can find me on Sirius XM Wednesday through Fridays, 10 to 11 on Sirius Fantasy Radio. And I will working on my three tendencies for each OC article, going to be doing a bunch of preseason DFS stuff. So you know where to find me, actionnetwork.com as well. Until next time, thank you guys for listening. This has been another edition of the Action Network Podcast. Take care.